At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the family with Tevin Pittman and Andy Brampernard. The women didn't show up today, Tevin. Is that your fault? They just abandoned us. I don't know. I must have made them mad last week. Apparently, that's what the deal is. There's no question about it. So, yeah, I thought Catherine and Alex were coming in today, but I know that Alex got a bunch of school things because school's school's closing in the next week or two. Oh, okay. She's got the, you know, she's got the kindergartner and the first grader and, you know, it's Lots of stuff to do, apparently. Well, I think there's something this afternoon at like 5 o'clock at their school, too. I think. That's the deal. Is Mr. Lee ready to go? Yep. Hazard Lee, ladies and gentlemen, the new book, The Art of Clear Thinking, A Stealth Fighter Pilot's Timeless Rules for Making Tough Decisions. Uh, Hazard, do you think that the average person wants to make tough decisions right now, or are they avoiding them at all costs? Yeah, I think that's, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. I think... Uh, we have a lot of uh, paralysis by analysis right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of decisions to make, more notifications and emails and meeting invites, and it's tough to be able to, to buckle down and focus on the few things that will uh, will achieve overall success. Yeah, it seems like it anyway. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the Art of Clear Thinking, a stealth fighter pilot's timeless rules for making tough decisions based on a career of making high-stakes split-second decisions uh, as a U.S. fighter pilot. I think you mentioned to me once before that the uh, the airplane's worth what a hundred million dollars. <laughs> Is that Jeez. right? Yeah, that's correct. You definitely don't want to uh, nick anything when you're taxing in. And the helmet <laughs> itself is four hundred thousand dollars. So you drop that thing, they're going to garnish your wages for a few years. Yeah, you're not going to get any paychecks anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you when you noticed in your own brain that man, you know what? Maybe I want to be a fighter pilot. How did this all happen for you, Hazard? Yeah, you know, I was, I was five years old, went to an air show, and was hooked there. So this was back in the day when you could hop in the cockpit of an F-15 and F-16. And, you know, five years old, sitting there with a the helmet on, looked like a bobblehead. But, uh, yeah, that's where I was hooked. There's not a lot you can do as a kid uh, who wants to be a fighter pilot. So I memorized all the, the facts about the jets and watched all the movies. But it wasn't until I was able to go to the Air Force Academy that it really started making progress. I love these tips that you give people. The Art of Clear Thinking hazardly distills what he's learned during his career flying some of the Air Force's most advanced aircraft, how to learn better. I, see, I love these points you're making, Hazard. How to learn better and faster, cultivating mental toughness, developing the skills to quickly assess, choose, and execute, and much, much more. Have we, are those skills in us, uh, are they diminishing? Do, the, do people have to pay close attention? Uh, how to learn better, faster, uh, mental toughness, you know, uh, the skills to quickly assess, choose, and execute. Have people lost those skills, Hazard, or, or can you just get better and better and better at them? Well, I think the big thing to focus on is that decisions are becoming more important than ever. We're right. leveraging technology far more than ever before with the rise of AI. The world is really changing, and that's something as fighter pilots that we've been on the leading edge of for the last 50 years or so with uh, this decision-making science and theory. When I'm flying in these, as, as you said, $100 million jets, I'm in this suit of technology that allows me to be thousands of times more capable on the battlefield than I could be on my own. But we're all experiencing that. The phone you have in your pocket, it can do the job of dozens of people from just a few decades ago. Same with your computer, same with your car. Uh, there are reports out of Silicon Valley now that the next billion-dollar company will be run by three or fewer people that's because we're leveraging AI to uh, to augment our decisions and to make them more important 
So it's, it's really critical, in my opinion, to focus on decision-making theory and science so that we can make the best decisions possible. Yeah, one thing yeah, about one thing the, uh, the whole smartphone thing that people don't realize how powerful they are just compared to not that long ago, uh, the Mission Control Apollo mission computer, that was, what, like 60 years ago, something like that? Yeah, somewhere mm -hmm. in there. 60 years ago or so. An iPhone 6 is 120 million times faster than the Apollo mission control <laughs> computer. <laughs> and you're most people are carrying that kind of thing around in their pocket every day. I mean, yeah. can you imagine 60 years ago saying, we're going to shrink this entire room down and put it in the pocket of every American? They would think you're insane. <laughs> that is true. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Hazard, I do have to, and you have to answer this question honestly, okay? You promise? You bet. Okay. What do you got? Ever since you got behind uh, the wheel of a $100 million jet, does it change the way you drive a car now? Because I was just thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it does. I think yeah. it actually makes you drive a little little less fast. When I was young, when I was a kid, I, I loved uh, driving sports cars going fast, but now I get that fix out when I'm flying. So there's really nothing that compares to, to sitting on top of 40,000 pounds of thrust. It's a roller coaster that you can drive wherever you want. You turn so tightly that you can make yourself pass out, uh, and that actually happens uh, quite a bit. So, um you know, nothing compares to it. So it's like, it's almost like, what's the point unless you're going to get on a racetrack and, and drive some sort of supercar? Yeah. yeah, that makes complete sense. I, so do you have an idea of how old you were when you first thought, I want to be a pilot? You know, what? Yeah, age? five years old. So it, really? you know, it's tough when you're, when you're that young to have that dream. Um, you know, there's no outlet. It's not like playing football or something. If you want to be an NFL player, you can play. Those uh, those minor uh, those those uh, children's leagues, but uh, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I was able to fly in a Cessna 152, oh. essentially a flying lawnmower with wings. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was I was working back in the day. I was working at fast food restaurants to be able to pay for it. So uh, I only got a couple of flights in, but I knew I was hooked. And I, I loved how it was almost like combining sports with school, which I wasn't great at school. Um, sports I was okay at. I went on to the Air Force Academy and uh, was a baseball player and boxed collegiately, but I wasn't like a great uh, sports player. But it was merging those two together that really uh, that really clicked for me. And, and so going from flying like a Cessna, where you say is a lawnmower with wings, the first time you get <laughs> behind the, I guess, is it a wheel or the in the cockpit of a hundred million dollar jet? What was that feeling like? Were you like nervous, scared, more just laser focused, like? What was going through your mind at that time? Uh, yeah, I think I was just amped up. I mean, this 20-year dream was finally happening. And so it, this was in an F-16. So F-16 is essentially a, a stripped-down hot rod of a plane built back in the 70s. There's no extra fat on it. And I remember just being really excited and doing an afterburner takeoff. So we have two different types of engines on the planes. We have one that's kind of like a commercial airliner, and then we have afterburner where you're essentially uh, just dumping fuel in the exhaust and igniting it. And it's a 30-foot flame coming out of the back of your jet. So did the afterburner takeoff, felt all the stages of the afterburner lighting off and just pinning me against the seat and just having the biggest smile on my face because I knew that I had accomplished, no matter what happened after this, I had accomplished my dream. I had flown an F-16. What a great story that is. I mean, honestly, now I have to ask you this. It might sound a little corny to you, and I hope it does not because I don't mean it to be. But I just did a speech on Monday night uh, for three 18-year-olds who have got uh, scholarships to attend college. And there are about a couple hundred people in, in attendance, something like that. And I looked at them and I said, the one thing you have to promise me is the three of you at 18 years old focus on bringing people back together instead of tearing them apart like we're going through right now. Um, do you remember back when you were five years old and you first uh, thought, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. Is it, I mean, is this an American story? What a great thing it is that a five-year-old boy grew up and got to do exactly what he wanted to do. And I know it takes hard work, 
But don't you think it's wonderful that in the United States of America, a five-year-old grew up to do uh, grew up to do everything you wanted to do? I absolutely think so. And I'm a first-generation American. My my dad uh, immigrated uh, over here, so uh, you know it, it really is. I'm really thankful for the opportunities that I have. Um, so it's incredible. I don't think there's any other place in the world where where you could have this opportunity and to be able to, to follow your, your dreams like, uh, like in America. I think that's exactly right, and it's not just because I was born in you know, Minnesota and I'm an American guy. I look at all these other countries, and i got nothing against any other country. I've done some traveling, uh, quite a bit of traveling, actually, over my lifetime, uh, and I've loved other places. We were just talking this morning to a, a, a young woman about Italy, and I absolutely love going to Italy. Uh, but, but there's something about achieving things in America that's very, very special. It seems like in America, if you work hard enough and you believe in yourself, you can pretty much achieve whatever you wish. Do you think that's true? I do think that's true. I think there's, there's no other place like it in the world. So being in the military, right. I had a chance to, to travel around. I, I lived in, uh, and served in Korea for a couple of years uh, flying, uh, flying for the Air Force. And then I've been to Afghanistan, been in Europe, and there's really no place like America. It's, it's truly a special country, and we can do we can to, to be able to preserve the values that we have and to, uh, to you know, it's, it's our turn to take care of this great nation and uh, to steward it to the next generation. I have a young son, and uh, I want him to grow up in a place that's similar to, to what I grew up in. What's so great about this has it is the fact that I, these 18-year-olds, there was one girl and two boys, I suppose, young woman and uh, one woman and two young men, but they're only 18, so they're teetering on, on kids and adults. I guess they're right, right at that teetering point. But uh, when I said that to them, it was in front of all the other people, and they all looked up at me, and they all looked like they had this understanding, they, this look in their eye like, yeah, I understand, we've got a job to do. I think they do understand that it's time to bring this country back together and stop fighting over everything we do now. My God, everything's wrong, and it's just not true, right? I agree. I think I think there's a lot of noise out there, and that's yep. yeah, really what I wanted to, what I try to focus on in this book is being able to distill what's important, what's not, right. find the signal within the noise because there's so much social media, there's so much, so many notifications, email, work chats. Uh, the news is, is uh, constantly pinging us. So I think that's one of the most important skills is to be able to detach, to focus on whatever your goal is, whatever you're uh, trying to achieve, and get rid of that noise. I think that's one of the most important skills that especially a young person needs to develop. They, they've grown up with an iPhone in the crib, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, yep. it's pretty difficult for them to be able to detach. But it's, critical. it's a critical skill. Uh, Mr. Lee, did your mom and dad have to step up and go, you know, you can do this? Did, did you need their support to get this done, do you think? I absolutely needed their support. They they were fantastic parents. Um, I would say I was always driven. So I always knew what I wanted to do. I, I never really had to have them uh, pushing me forward towards the dream. I, I think a really important skill is they nurtured what I wanted to do. Right. I think I see a lot of parents, especially in sports, they, uh, they're really strict, really hard on their kids, and they make it not fun. And the kids, they might be great when they're 10 years old, but they get burned out by the time they're in high school or, or definitely in college. So I think you need to, and that's one thing we learned as fighter pilots that, that I really go into, is that you don't want to necessarily always be an evaluator. You want to be a coach trying to, trying to make somebody the best they can be on that possible day, because because motivation is important. They need to have intrinsic motivation. It can't just be a carrot or a stick that's motivating them over the course of a, a dream that takes 20 years. That might work for a couple of weeks, but that, that certainly doesn't work uh, for a long-term goal. That's funny because you, you, you obviously must have believed a great deal in your mother and father because it sounds to me, just from your tone, that you, you turned to your parents quite a bit for advice and to learn things, and, and it sure seems like you do realize you came away with a lot of things from your parents. Yes, they, they, they were mentors. I think we all need mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily need to be parents. It can be a coach, it can be uh, someone at your work, but 
I think it's important to have mentors, people that have done what you're trying to do before you and that can distill that wisdom down. That's one of the great skills that we have as humans. We can learn from those around us. We don't always have to touch the hot stove to know it's hot. Now, having a young kid, sometimes they do need to touch the stove to realize it's hot for themselves, but not every time. So you can sometimes learn from other people's mistakes and successes, and I think that's really what allows us to, uh, to excel. Do you have a you have a lot of smart people in your family? Hazard is that what uh, the part of this is? Because it sounds to me like you learned a lot of great things when you were very young. My dad was a scientist for the uh, oh, okay. the DoD Department of Defense here, so okay. he was he was all, we were always traveling the U.S. and I think physicists uh, have one of the best mindsets. They like to break things down and really understand how things work from the ground up. And so uh, I, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where the Manhattan Project was. So I had a chance to be around a lot of a lot of smart people. That is, I, I love the fact that you started out to talk about a basically like a little. What did you describe it as? A little go kart with wings. A first, lawnmower. With a lawnmower it? with wings. That's yeah. what it was. A lawnmower with wings. Then you move on to a hundred million dollar uh, jet. What's in the future, Hazard? Do you have any idea what? I mean, if we we came that far in your short lifetime, how much further are we going to? What's going to happen? Are these airplanes going to start disappearing in mid-flight? I mean, what's next? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of technology that we put in these jets. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, that helmet, four hundred thousand dollars. Everything is pumped into that helmet. So when I'm flying, God. it's true augmented reality. So when I look out the sides of my jet, I see uh, symbols following all the my wingmen and good guys out there with all the information I need to know to uh, employ with them. I see symbols over all the bad guys, and it follows them as the, uh, the adversary moves and all the information I need to uh, engage them. Uh, even at night, so we have cameras around the jet that see in pitch black. So it will stitch that together into a world and God. put it into my helmet so I can oh, actually see through my body when I'm flying at night. So it's uh, the technology is is really eye-watering. So that almost feels like a video game <laughs> yeah. type yeah, scene. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's like video game mixed with real life. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, but it's tremendous for our situational awareness because that's what you're trying to do when you're fighting. You're trying to understand the battlefield. There's a lot of fog and friction in war. So the adversary is doing all they can to confuse you, to, uh, to find your weakness, and you're trying to find opportunities. So the situational awareness part is huge, but that doesn't really showcase well in, for instance, an air show uh, environment. So uh, that's one of the, the biggest aspects of air combat, though. God, what a great story this is. Now, the, the average passenger jet flies at, what, about 650, 700 miles an hour? Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. I thought that was about right. So when Hazard Lee gets behind the wheel in his jet, he goes 50% faster than that. It's like, my God, a thousand miles an hour. What's that feel like? Man. Sometimes even faster. So one of the stories in the really? book I talk about is I got a chance to fly a completely clean F-16. That we were testing things on the engine, and the last step was a maximum speed run. So I got it up to about 25,000 feet, plugged, uh, plugged in the full afterburner, so that 30-foot plane shot out the back of my jet. And I climbed up to 50,000 feet. At that altitude, you can see the curvature of the earth. The sky gets a little bit darker. Jeez. And then I pushed the nose over and started accelerating. At about 1.6 times the speed of sound, the jet started shaking. It felt like it was going to shake itself apart. And it's, it's just a known engineering uh, aerodynamic region of the jet. So I was able to push through it. And then at 1.9 Mach, almost twice the speed of sound, <laughs> which is 15, 1,500 miles an hour, uh, no. Everything smoothed out, and I felt heat. It felt really hot in the cockpit, so I took my hand off the, the throttle of the stick, and I put it near the, and I had a Nomex glove on. I put it near the canopy, and I could feel the heat radiating through, almost like an oven, just from the Jeez. friction from the, uh, from the air out there pushing against the, uh, the canopy. And I, once I, once I uh, was done with the run, so I, I burned up almost all my fuel in about five minutes. I took the throttle and uh, put it back, took, turn off the afterburner. Still a lot of thrust coming out of my jet, but the air resistance was so great that it threw me forward and it locked my shoulder harness just because oh. the air resistance was so great. So uh, pretty uh, pretty unique experience. I mean, do you, 
you have to be sitting at the wheel going, if I make one little mistake, Absolutely. I got major problems. That's correct. Like, uh, if you boil everything down, as, of what we do as Spider Pods is to make decisions. You're making thousands of decisions mm-hmm. off of incomplete information, and lives are on the line. So you, we have a saying that there are no old, bad pilots because uh, just a few mistakes, and it can be the end of you. God, that's... Uh... Do you ever walk up to the plane and go, man, what am I doing? Do you think about it? Do you just love it so much you, just, you wouldn't hesitate? Uh, so we, that's one thing that we really focus on is separating confidence from arrogance. So Very one thing good. that the mission planning is we have to be able to, to have an honest assessment of what our capability is and what we can bring to the fight. Because we're, we're bringing a bunch of different aircraft together, sometimes 100 aircraft together. And so everybody needs to be honest with what, what they can actually do. But as soon as that canopy comes down, you have to think that you're the best pilot for that mission. You can't have any doubt. And so it's flipping a switch. You're detaching from some of those doubts. Um, So, yeah, as soon as you get in the the cockpit, it's go time. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, We're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. I would imagine that making a mistake behind the wheel of a jet doing uh, 1,000, 1,500 miles an hour, it doesn't take long for you to, uh, to find out you just made a mistake, I wouldn't imagine. No, our closure rates are a mile every three seconds, so these mistakes can snowball very, very quickly. And that's one thing we have to work with new pilots, so that's, that's my, uh, been my job for the last couple of years, is teaching new pilots how to fly. And these are very, very talented. Some, talented pilots, some of the most talented pilots in the world. But one thing that they can struggle with sometimes is the mental aspect of making a mistake, because they're not used to making a lot of mistakes, making a mistake and uh, getting caught up in it. And it can snowball out of control, and they can quickly get themselves into a dangerous position. So part of my job is to be able to coach them on some of these mental performance techniques to, to be able to stay in the present moment. You make a mistake, that's fine. There'll be time afterwards to debrief it. Let's focus on how to fix the situation. Now, Hazard, I need your help. I know you can't see her right now, but my lovely wife, Catherine, just got here, and her skin is beet red. Can you fly along at 1,500 miles an hour and stick your head out the window? Because I think that's what she did. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. Uh, We we sometimes have to, fortunately, I've never had to do it, but sometimes you have to eject, and so you go straight into the wind stream, and it's... uh, it's it's pretty pretty intense at these speeds. And so you said you're training now. Um, do you still get to get up and fly then to scratch the itch, or are you just strictly on the ground in in like simulators for training? 
Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a reservist. I'm in a really unique position. When I first started, there were only three other pilots uh, that were part-time F-35 pilots like me. There's some more now, but I get a chance to fly a couple times a month, really scratch that itch because there's nothing like flying a, a, a fighter. And then the rest of the time, I'm a writer, so I get a chance to, to write that book, and that's what I did with this book. I spent over 500 days in a row writing this book. Um, I wrote every word of it, so uh, it, it's been a fun journey. It's so different than flying jets, but actually a lot of the skills translate over. A thousand miles per hour. It's 1,500, he said, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, don't sell them short. <laughs> okay, so what does a commercial airliner, how fast does that go? 700. Wow, yeah. that's really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's moving. Commercial airliners are just below the speed of sound, generally. Oh, there you go, okay. So what was that movie with... Uh, Top Gun? Tom Cruise, the new one. Yeah, Top Gun, yeah. What, also what, Top Gun. What was he pushing? He was pushing over 2,000 in the movie? He was going, he was going Mach 10. So that's something that's what really that? not possible. No, it's completely like, unrealistic. Uh, a space or something like that. <laughs> oh, okay. So, 10, so that's, yeah, that's not going to be a no. thing. And so okay. seeing seeing stuff like that and like hearing, I'm sure you get it all the time when people ask, like, oh, like so it's like Top Gun. And you're like, that is not real. Does that make your blood boil? It doesn't make my blood boil. I, I actually thought it was a good movie. Yeah. The cinematography is fantastic. I have a bunch. They use real military jets. My brother's. Uh, a Navy pilot, so I don't hold that against them. But, you know, they, they actually went up and filmed those scenes. So I, I appreciate what they did. And uh, the story of actually the tactics aren't quite that accurate. But, hey, you know, it's a movie. I think they did a pretty good job for something out of Hollywood. And can you just go steal a jet whenever you feel like it to prove a point? <laughs> like they did in the movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hop in. And then fly right between two people that are flying in close formation. Yeah, that of course. Fun. As yeah. long you know, as long as you're afterwards playing volleyball with a shirt off, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So speaking about airspeed records, we're, we're in the Air Force. We're focused on the mission. Ah, That's the Navy. Though. Okay, okay. So oh, the they're Force. a bunch of hacks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Amateur squad. All right, so we were speaking about airspeed records, basically. And I've noticed something that we haven't set one in a very long time. Uh, why do you suppose that is? So the big thing about air combat is it's changed quite a bit. So it evolved over time. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was all about how fast and how high you could fly. Mm-hmm. In the 70s and 80s and 90s, it turned into... How tightly you can turn and sustain yep. that turn, that's where the F-16 was born out of. No extra fat. Really a dogfighting machine. In the last 10 years or so, air combat's changed again. So now it's about being stealth. you, you got to be stealth to be in a mid-level conflict or above that the enemy can't see you. You need to have great sensors to see out there. You need sensor fusion to be able to fuse all that information together because the F-16, I love it. But it was a rat's nest of technology. It was '80s, '90s, 2000s technology. Your eyes were going all over the, the the cockpit to find information. And so, unfortunately, we had a lot of pilots that would just be flying at low altitude and and run into a mountain because they're so focused on oh. gathering all this information. Yep. The F-35, though, it fuses all that information into a red dot if it's a bad guy, green dot if it's a good guy. It's basically two giant iPads in front of me. Uh, and then we pass that information off to uh, to other aircraft. So F-16s, those are built in the 70s. They're still going to be flying till 2040s, so a long time. So our job as F-35 pilots is to pass off a lot of that situation awareness to them. So, so air combat's changed a lot. It's not this 1v1 cage match where you're going up and fighting the best enemy fighter and pilot. Uh, it's really about going in with hundreds of aircraft against hundreds of other aircraft of all different shapes and sizes, and even some that aren't aircraft, so space and cyber and on the ground. Um, so working together as a team, almost like a football team, you have different people, different positions, as opposed to, to just like a 1v1 cage match. But the whole point of it is, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking out loud because I don't know. Um, so airplanes in combat are to go take out targets, right? Mm-hmm. And the other side is trying to make it so that you're not taking out the target that's why you get into a dogfight because it seems like i mean an airplane is what 50 billion dollars and then there's there's a couple of there's a couple of guys so i mean it's not cost effective to just go up in the air and just try to shoot each other no it's not like the bee swarm (laughs) kind of thing that you see in movies no 
No. So is so, that really the point? Is everybody to take... has a different role. But, Everybody's going out after different things. And that, that's one thing I really uh, try to illuminate in the book is this uh, mission planning concept called effects-based planning, where we're breaking things down so it's not just a war of attrition. We're, we're not – in the past, a lot of times, they would send tanks out to fight other tanks, airplanes to fight other airplanes. Mm -hmm. But really, with this effects-based planning, we try to break everything down to – to ultimately try to win the war. So in the case of the Gulf War I talk about, we went after power stations because right. that was critical yeah. to their air yeah. defense system. So finding these what we call centers of gravity to take out, even if it's not another airplane, we'll go after that. And because the, our fighters are so expensive, it's really important that we focus on the, the critical targets because we can have such an outsized effect on the battlefield. Okay, so that makes more sense than and just we're just going to go up and right and just shoot at right. each other. Everybody, everybody send their planes yeah. up and the last one flying wins. <laughs> well, that yeah, that little skirmish was only a hundred billion. No, yeah. that wouldn't make any sense. So when you do take out a target, about how far away generally are you? It really depends. So we have all kinds of different weapons and systems. Uh, we can be right up close to the target in Afghanistan. I talk about in the book. I strafed. I strayed three times uh, in combat, so the gun is still effective and it's still useful, but we have also long-range missiles. There are cruise missiles out there, so it, it, it really is kind of like that football game taken to the extreme. You have punters, you know, you have kickers, you have quarterbacks, all kinds of different weapon systems out there. And, and with all the technology, and you know you said you have like essentially it's two big iPads in front of you. Are you mostly flying looking at the iPads or because you're not like you're going so fast, it's not like you're seeing what's flying around you. So I'm assuming you're just pretty much looking at a screen and not really outside. Actually, you're looking outside quite a bit because of that augmented reality display. So everything oh, okay. is pumped into that helmet. So it mm. overlays everything that you're looking at. And we have the stick and throttle have dozens of buttons on it. So each button, can it's, it's like a video game, can go forward, back, left, right, long pushes, short pushes. And then we have multiple master modes that completely change what every button does. So it, it takes a long time to be able to, to learn how to employ it. And you can do all of this while looking outside. I just started trusting my uh, rear view camera on my car. Yeah, you <laughs> and you're doing That's 50. <laughs> I'm going two miles an hour yep. out the driveway. She's using instrument rules now. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Uh, one of our listeners wants to know about any specific mental techniques for recovering from a Ooh, mistake. Great idea. Oh, yeah. So, good. so we do a lot in terms of human performance. That's been a big push in the last couple of years. So being able to stay in the present moment. I think the biggest thing that most people can do is just to always have a allocated time to debrief after whatever event that they're doing. If you're giving a uh, presentation, give yourself five minutes at the end of it. As, as fighter pilots, we'll go up and fly for an hour and a half, but we'll spend two to six hours debriefing that mission just so that we can get better. So I think, I think having that allocated time to debrief is important because when you're in the moment and you make a mistake, you don't want to debrief yourself there. You don't want to burn excess cognitive bandwidth on how you screwed up, what are the consequences of that. You want to stay focused, stay in the present moment. One one aspect, especially if you start getting too stressed out, and we have this lot of students who are refueling for the first time. So we have essentially flying gas stations. They are airliners filled with fuel. And so you will go up, you're taught your whole career never to touch another never to hit another aircraft. And now you're touching another aircraft going about 350 miles an hour. Oh, so we have so students weird. that really their first couple of times are, are really stressed out. So we have a couple techniques to be able to, to help them to get back into the optimal uh, bandwidth because you don't have good coordination when you, when you are under high stress, different breathing techniques, different ways to, to be able to expand your vision, to be able to not get tunnel vision, which is a, a critical aspect of uh, being able to fly in formation. How does that work, gassing up in the sky? I mean... <laughs> well, you've seen Top Gun. They got that little proboscis thing that comes out. <laughs> a little hose that yeah. you just... So, I, you have to hook up, yeah. Like oh, that's Physically right. hook them together. That, that's really how it is? Yeah, sure is. Wow, that's... So that's, that's the Navy version, so that's the, the drogue sheet. We, we have a boom <laughs> that sticks out of the, the plane, and so we will fly, and your goal, it sounds weird, your goal is to slowly try and hit your helmet on the boom. And so there's a boom operator in the aircraft, and they'll move slowly move the boom out of the way. And then the refueling receptacle is 
behind your, your head. So you're actually pulling up underneath the jet, and then they stick the, the boom into your aircraft, and you just have to hold position there for about 10 minutes while the fuel transfers. Is that I, dangerous I, if, like, fuel yeah. leaks because you have, like, your big <laughs> yeah. engine spraying out yeah. flames? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of fuel right there. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's you stressful. That's why the new students are nervous. If you... Uh, you make a wrong move, you could, you could easily turn into a giant fireball. So after you've done it three times, then that kind of like builds up your confidence, and then you're like, oh, ho-hum? Or is it always kind of scary? Yeah, it does get to be routine, okay. at least when the conditions are right. So when the conditions are right, there's not a lot of turbulence during the day. It actually gets to be pretty easy. And that's, hmm. when I was flying missions in Afghanistan, I, I, I talk in the book, I would sometimes be flying eight-hour missions. And so that's tough. That's it's very minimal autopilot on the F-16, um, so you are having to, it's, it's like taking a test for eight hours long. You're going to different firefights. You're having to, to stay focused, and that would be my time to recharge and to drink some water would be going to the tanker to refuel. So it does get to be routine, but if there's, if there's turbulence, if there's weather, I talk, talk in the book about the time I was coming back to base, and the base came under attack, and so we had to divert to a... Uh, uh, an airborne tanker, and we came just minutes away from from flaming out, and so that was that was a stressful period of time. So it can be challenging, but it also can be routine. Hmm. I c- I can tell you right now, we we recharge in way different ways. Yeah, we do. Eight hour. Way different. Before like an eight hour fire fighter firefight, um, like do you eat like the same meal? Like what? Because obviously you have water, I guess, in the cockpit. But do you try to like not eat before a mission? Because you don't need a bunch of Taco Bell right before. No. Yeah, I assume, I assume yeah. not. Don't but like, want any spicy. No, you definitely don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> we would always fly with uh, some some Pepto Bismol and Imodium because yep. that is not a situation you want to be in. To, uh, I would pregame on the Imodium. Yeah, you don't want to do it hungover. I'm assuming. <laughs> no. Now I got to I got to jump in here quickly. Yeah. Hazard, are we holding you too long? Because we've already had you for 35 minutes. I mean, we have a lot more questions. Well, Art but says. I, he has to move on. That's what I thought. Hazard, are you going to oh, go on? I, I mean, I, I I feel like I have a few more minutes. I don't know if I have an interview after this. Uh, Art said, "Feel free to ask him. If I don't, I'm happy to, to stay on." Um, could you ask? I think Art, yeah, needs you to. Art on. needs you to hop on. Hazard, are you going to go on tour? Are you going to travel around the United States promoting your book? Yeah, even even internationally. So it's been picked up in the UK. It's uh, being translated into Ukrainian. Which is a which is a really big uh, big honor in some other countries and languages as well. So it's been really well received. It came out yesterday. It's a Barnes and Noble bestseller. It's number one on Amazon. And what what surprised me is people have written in. A lot of people are buying it with Memorial Day around the corner for veterans. Oh sure. Uh, graduation season. So those uh, those eighteen year olds they need uh, some coaching in making good decisions. Um, so it's great for them. And then one thing that surprised me is. Father's Day, and it's, you know, being a father, I'm a father, it is a lot like being a fighter pilot. Not much sleep, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, important <laughs> decisions. So a lot of people are buying the book for Father's Day, which has been a pleasant surprise. It's a wonderful thing. Hazard, uh, just one more thing before you go. Next time you come back, whether it's on the phone or you come in the studio or whatever, uh, at what is there an age you have to retire from flying fighter jets? To, at, at once you get to be 45 years old, 50 years old, they say, okay, it's time to move on to other things. Is there an, an age you have to stop doing this? I think there is an age. I think it's actually in the 60s, but nobody makes it that far. Very few people. Most people right. really only serve 20 years because their back and neck start to give out after these crushing G-forces oh, sure. for so long. So usually it's, it's it's about 45, I would say, is the typical age. But there are a few people that have made it, I think, into their 60s. Okay, when you come back, I want to talk to you about what's next for Hazard Lee once you turn 45. I know you got to go, and I'm sorry we took so long, but you were a very fascinating guest. I would, next time, we'd have to book you for the whole hour, pal. All right? Hey, let, let me know. I, I love talking about this. Um, just... Shoot me an email, and I'm happy to come on anytime. So think about that. What are you going to do when you turn 45? What's next? And I want to hear it live on this show, Hazard. Thank you, sir. All right. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. The art of clear thinking a stealth fighter pilot's timeless rules for making tough decisions. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? 
Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabanco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. You know, what's so great about life, and this is true, because Andy and I were sitting out there, Tevin was sitting in here talking to Rudy, and you and Alex didn't show up. We're thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And then we hop on. Phenomenal show because the guest was fantastic. I could have talked to him oh, all day. I know. For sure. <laughs> like, I was like, whoa. Just the mental toughness to be able to do that. I mean, just the refueling thing sounds mm-hmm. terrifying. Oh, God, I mean, yes. really terrifying. And especially like cause going 350 miles an hour. Like, could you imagine? Like, it's like pulling your car up to another like truck that's got gas on it. Like, that, you could never. I would no. absolutely no. melt. God, he no. was on for 36 minutes, oh, and no. it, it seemed like it was about 10 mm-hmm. minutes. Well, that's a. It, not everybody does what he does. And Andy, to talk to somebody that does something like that is pretty amazing. Andy, I could tell you had a lot more questions, didn't you? I mean,. Yeah, there's a lot you can talk about. But he's yeah. just so fa- it was a fascinating interview. He's so he is so into it and so well educated on it. But I do want to sit and interview him sometime. So what are you going to do when you turn 45 and you cannot do this anymore? Mm-hmm. How do you take those skills and move on in life? I think that'd be a mm-hmm. fascinating. Well, story. I think they still always want to fly. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I, yeah, because especially there's no like. I mean, I guess maybe like an F1 driver would be the closest thing is like as far yeah, as like an I adrenaline suppose. rush would go. The but there's not like, yeah. yeah, there's not anything that like, oh, yeah, there's a logical transition. Now you're just without this. Is there experience. an age? Is there an age to retire for race car drivers? I assume there think. probably would. Be. There aren't a lot of old race car drivers. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think your reaction time has diminish. to be. Yeah. If your reaction time is great, then you can do it for yeah. as long as you can. But the average age of a driver on F1 is 27. 27 and that even feels that even feels high because a lot of like the like they pluck guys that are like 18 19 years old to get them started they do well they say your reflexes are at their best at 18 well and you have to have that you know immortality thing you know where you don't think anything's gonna happen to you right yeah and you can't like be thinking oh i've got my kids at home if something happens yeah that's true yeah well yeah because i mean like you said you know you're in a jet going a thousand miles an hour you enter a flat spin or something and you're very good chance you're not coming out what of it. What is a flat spin? It's when a plane okay. starts going like spinning like that. Oh, oh. You, know, oh. you don't oh. want to be in one of those. That's like on on ice. None for me. Yeah. Your car's twirling around. Like oh, Bambi yeah, when he slips yeah. on the ice All and spins in the around. Air. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's like, you know, if you're just like a kid who's basically just like seeking the thrill of the, you know, going in a jet or trying to fight for your country or whatever, you come out of that, you're like, okay, all good. 
but you know, if you got a wife and kids, yeah. you're like I, you know, they almost lost their dad. I'm not right. doing that again. Well, that's why when they have a draft, they're you know they want they youngsters. Want young people, yep. Oh, and my dad went into World War II. He said, I, "I said, was it just constantly scary? Were you just terrified? I mean, you were just like a kid." And he said, "Well, you know, the gunfire didn't bother me. So didn't we weren't afraid of gunfire. <laughs> we just like, heard what? that all the time." He said, "What really scared you was really? the shelling. Shelling scared you. Oh, well, yeah. all of a sudden, it just blows up. Yeah. Anywhere you have zero. Yep. preparation well, all of a sudden there's just an explosion out of the sky and you never yeah. know where it's going to land yeah and that's what that's how he got hit and mm-hmm. almost died was shelling Not, yep. yeah yeah and he I, was a heavy gunner so everybody was trying to kill him i mean yep. everybody was trying to take him mm-hmm. out yeah no i had a teacher that was i think he was in vietnam and he was yeah the kind of the same way it was like the shelling and then he was like the tigers that that's was a tiger when, Literal like, a, like a tiger tiger, like a, the big cat. Oh, like, like a real tiger? That comes out of the jungle Oh, I thought that was some you. sort of military yeah, plane no, or was, something. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. Because no, he was like a mechanic on the base, and he was like, yeah, like tigers were everywhere. Oh, and yeah, so they would Vietnam. just He was like, yeah, uh, they would just come out of the jungle and eat you and oh, no way you're okay. you're gone. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'd be afraid of a tiger. Well, there's no good thing everyone's got a gun. Yeah, yeah that is true. Yeah, but tigers are stealthy. They only attack from behind. I should point out to the listeners because they're asking me why Catherine is not on camera. Because <laughs> I'm beat red like the sun. And I have to report <laughs> that uh, Tevin is very offended by Catherine's skin color. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like it, the fact that you're trying to look more like him. Yeah, she, uh, I don't know if you're not this horrible job. Right, horrible red. job on the black face. No, so. it's not red, black red at red all. face. I'm not it's near not black. Even black. <laughs> I'm very red. No. You're, what did you do? I had this you zapper thing, zapping. Like zap- a, oh, like the uh, microblading the, or something no, where it takes the layer of skin. Oh no, they're zapping off like sun damage oh, okay. and stuff. Mm. It's you a, are red. I I'm know, t- and I'll be red. <laughs> I know. And we have JB's birthday dinner tomorrow night. We have Kafani's recital. I'm going to look like a crazy person. Well, we got for, some tonight, don't we? Yeah, Fawn's dance recital. Oh, that's tonight. Yeah. That's 5 o'clock So tonight. I'm going to look like this for... Hi, everybody! Hey, I'm really, <laughs> hey. really hot. Well, I guess I look like a Florida tourist. You know what you should do? That? You should do that right in front of the whole crowd and go, God, is it hot in here? <laughs> oh, my God. Hot flash! Hot flash! <laughs> Freak everybody out. God, Andy, that... that was terrific because because we I had just uh, talked to Hazardly two days or yesterday I think mm-hmm. on the morning show, and he's just such a great interview that it oh. had no effect on this interview at all. Fantastic interview. Well, and like you said, there's a million different questions and a, yeah. a lot of different ways of talking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, after Tevin mentioned like not eating before you go on a flight. Oh. I didn't want to ask, barfing. but it's like, <laughs> right. what like, happens if you, you go do to just all of a sudden? What if you have like food poisoning? What if you have to poop? <laughs> right. Tevin or, wanted to know like, like, what if you have to poop? I probably have, a, I don't know. I mean, some they, they're flying for jets, eight hours. They're probably in a diaper. Some yeah, fighter I mean, jets do yeah, have like be. little bathrooms in them. Do they for, really? Like, very long missions, but a lot of them don't. I didn't know. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not expecting him to have like yeah. the cart girl that comes up and no. down the aisle get, no. handing out peanuts and water. No, but it's not like you can just pee off the side. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at 650 <laughs> miles. I'm like, not a thousand miles an hour. No. Yeah, because after eight hours, now you're not only worried about like you have to be at a heightened state of alertness. You got like if you're dying of dehydration yeah. and yeah. whatever else oh, not I mean, dying yeah, after an eight hour flight you well, must sleep for and don't like you, a day don't you have to wear an oxygen mask too not what, always at, at those uh, oh at those it depends on your altitude yeah yeah so if you're at a low altitude you don't necessarily well, I feel like need all to the movies they're always you're supposed to keep masks. it on if if at all possible but you you have to drink yeah, so water you have to and stuff throw every up so or something. Yeah. And yeah, you guys are right. The nap after an eight-hour mission, just coming down from that adrenaline God, rush, God, is yeah. you sleep for two days. I would assume. So Probably. debriefing. What does debriefing actually mean? That's after a mission, they analyze everything that happened. Yep. So it's a briefing where they tell you what's gonna happen. Then it's the mission, and then it's the debriefing where they tell you what did happen. It's- like watching film of a sporting event, saying, yeah. like, here's the That's plays we made. Basically, okay, yeah. so there's there's no, like, psychological... I'm sure there has to be, because you just went out and, like, 
killed people or blew up a building. Yeah. Like, there's got to be some sort of evaluation. Yeah, yeah I would think Well, I so. think that's what he said, too, is, like, you wait a little while. You debrief, like, you know, maybe the day after yeah, okay. when you're not basically just, like, shaking with adrenaline and yeah. can't concentrate on yeah, it Yeah, because, all. I mean, a lot of times, you know, they just do the mission. They're told what to do. They're not analyzing anything. They're just doing what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do. And sometimes, you know, there's people in the building that weren't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all kinds of crap can go sideways. I think so. you just have to detach yourself from that. It's like intelligence said that there were no yeah. civilians in there. It's not mm-hmm. my fault. Well, that's why I was thinking about the debriefing. It's like the, the detachment. It's like that's fine. But if you find out that something... Right. I don't know. know if they would even... I don't think like, they would tell you. I don't think they no? would probably tell you. Yeah, if no. it's like, it, oh, that wasn't a barracks, you know, it was a school or something. I don't... Why well, would they tell you? That makes the news, though. Yeah. It does, and you'll find out eventually. But I just feel like it would—it it would only be harmful to tell a pilot. That. Yeah, because now the next time you're flying, you're second yeah, guessing you're yourself. Second guessing intelligence. Now that's you that's can't do that. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like I said, yeah, or he was talking about that mental toughness. I can't even imagine. No. I mean, we can't even have people yeah. walk through a Target without having a meltdown about merchandise. Oh, that's funny you bring that up because Target yanks some Pride merch. Well. I've been following some of this, and they had this one brand that was it was called the Satanic brand. Mm. The Satanic brand. Satanic brand. Oh, that's nice. And it it was a it was a brand out of England that was a very a very poor choice in my opinion. They had they had all these enamel pins. I'm not saying that they sold them in Target, but this was part of their brand. It was an enamel pin, and it was like transphobe headrest, and it was a guillotine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't even show up in the Target. But story. I mean, oh. but I mean, that's the brand. Yeah. The so then they made a different product. Brand. Yeah. That. And they were selling. They were. They weren't selling the pins, but they were selling, you know, not real nice slogans on T-shirts. Why they had to bring that in and the whole satanic thing. I don't get I, it. I'm not, I really don't get I'm it. I'm not understanding it. I know that a lot, you know, there's a, there's a backlash against Christians, Catholics especially, you know, whatever. We don't need to have more watch hate your step brought in. over there. I'm we Catholic. Don't, <laughs> we don't need any more hate brought in. No. You know, well, if, I, if, if I hate you because you're black, then you mm-hmm. get to hate me because I'm white. Why Why do we need to hate each other at all? Why don't, don't we just it. have a conversation and be friends? I just don't understand why you have to be like, okay, well, there are some transphobes out there. Yeah, there are. The majority of people I don't think are. Having I don't that, know any. Having that I don't messaging, know one person that's a transphobe. But having that no. messaging is not good for no, your not. group, and it's not good for anybody else's group. Because they make money from it. That's it's just, exactly it's why. It's just offensive all the way around. I agree. Well, it's also very telling that these kind of things are being sold by corporations to the public. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you claim that your life is in danger, yet you can go buy a pin that basically says, come at me, and you'll be fine. So in what way is your life in danger? It doesn't make any sense. No, it makes zero sense. And also, Target was also selling um, girls' swimwear that was for tucking for boys and men. What? Tucking. Why would they need to wear tucking? So you hide your yep. penis because you're right. trying to look mm-hmm. like a woman. Oh, I see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Or a girl. Well, good for you. And, Who gives a rat? Right. And like stuff like you. that, I'm like, okay. Like if it... But like for kids, it, though? But yeah, I know. Yeah. And for well, kids, well, that's like I the think big... we need to... The big thing is we need to leave the kids out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really nice. think that that's... They're too easy to control. That's the problem. Right. And well, because that's like... Now they're doing where people like us. Uh, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were saying there was like a group of kids where like the daughter came home. They're seven. And she's like, I'm the only like non-lesbian. One of my friends is like pansexual. One mm-hmm. of my and it's like so it yeah. definitely. And if you're trying to figure out like, well, how old can the kids be before they can make that decision? Do they know they're a lesbian? It's a very fine line to walk. And people, when you try to bring that topic up, like, hey, if my daughter says I'm a lesbian, how do you? approach that and you get people that don't even want to have the conversation you can't even have the conversation like, we've well, turned into the reptilian brain we're yep. going right into reptiles we're not even no, capable right. of having a conversation no. anymore and the fact that if you have a lot of times i'm not saying all the time but many times if you have an activist type of teacher all of a sudden 60 mm-hmm. percent of her class or his class will be 
something. Right. That's because yeah. you get preferential treatment if yeah. you do and it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like right. that just statistically is not possible, and that is influencing kids. And Absolutely. kids, like I said, if a kid has a problem, then you deal with the problem. You don't create problems for children. Yeah, and kids, kids are very influential. I remember my sister. Oh, it's not the same so thing, but she had a friend when she was in like intermediate school that was a vegetarian, and all of the other kids made fun of her. So my sister, for like majority of her childhood, was like, "I'm a vegetarian too." Yeah, to support her friends. So it was like kids one day will say one thing, and the yeah. next day they don't even remember what I they remember were doing. Alex trends with, don't uh, exist among children. Alex with different babysitters. This babysitter didn't like tuna fish, so mm-hmm. I hate tuna fish. Mm-hmm. This babysitter, you know, liked this, right. so all of a sudden I love this. <laughs> Yep. That's just how kids are. Yep. That's why you have to leave them alone. Mm-hmm. That's why we have laws protecting children right. against predatory adults. And I feel like this is getting into sort of predatory territory. Yeah, and especially when like a decision that they make could is potentially permanent and now like when they're 30 years old are they going to potentially regret this? Like make exactly. sure Exactly. Yeah, it's a 90% do. Well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things about all of this, you know, transgender care that isn't being discussed. But Norway, who has been very, very, very progressively into the whole transgender care stuff, has just published a paper saying that a lot of the surgeries and the hormones and things that they were giving nine to twelve, nine to sixteen whatever, are very harmful in the long Mm. run. They're causing sexual dysfunction. Oh, they've known that for decades. But, I mean, now this paper actually got published. It wasn't squashed. It's out there because they. it used to be you just couldn't talk about it. Like I was talking about. This is important information. If I wanted to transition, I want all of the information about what could happen to me. Can I get more cancers? Mm -hmm. Can this happen Mm -hmm. to me? What happens if I fashion a penis out of my forearm skin. I want to know what it looks like. Tim liked that one a lot. He loved that. That's yes. what they do. Right. Speaking I of I want to know what it you. is. Right? <laughs> yeah. Can't I have some information? Right. But the second you ask for all the information, then everybody's like, well, that must mean you're this. That must mean that you must believe mean you're this. Against like, it. It's, it's like, like no, asking want, questions doesn't mean I'm against it. I just want all the information to before I make it. a decision. We <laughs> have Tire Carver on the phone. Tire, how you doing? Well, I'm going to 180 this conversation. <laughs> Taking a big turn, right, baby. No forearm <laughs> talk. Going, going back to the uh, age of race car drivers, um, I know some guys that are into their 70s and still winning races. Paul Newman raced until he was in his late 60s and went and was running and winning national races. So. Ah, but that's Paul Newman, and they were probably letting him win. No. <laughs> oh, no. I know guys that raced against him, and... He was very, very good. I bet he was. Yep. You know, oh, he was Paul Newman, after all. Yep. Yeah. No, I was, there's guys that do it very well sure. into their 70s, and there's guys like me that kind of do it well, and I'm nowhere near that age. <laughs> so what do you race? I've raced formula cars. I've raced a couple cars on dirt. Um, oh. I have fun. I would have everything have to fall into place to win. But uh, it was a blast. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun to do. But I also know I'm not good enough to you know to win unless everything's perfect. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm about ninety ninety five percent of being what really good drivers are, and then there's guys that are better than that. So. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. It just the whole thing just amazes me that getting behind the I don't care if it's the wheel of an automobile or an airplane or whatever it is, traveling at that speed has got to be something, man. I've been in a car that was doing a hundred and I think it was one hundred and fifty one time. That was moving, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these things are going what ten times that fast? Yep. Ten times yep. that. Yep. And then driving so close to another car that's oh. also going that fast. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. God. No. What you actually seems slow. That, yeah, that would be wow. until you look outside the bubble of everything around you, and you start seeing mm-hmm. the walls and the you know the trees going by you like yep. they're you know they're just a blur because you can't focus on them. Well, it's all relative. When you're speed. in a group of cars doing 100, 150 miles an hour, mm-hmm. it's it's like traveling down the freeway because everybody's doing the same speed. So it's oh. not it's not scary until somebody starts doing something wrong. Yeah. Wobbling around or something. 
yeah, you know, it starts, okay, I, he went a little too fast, and now he's going to be a pinball in front of me on the wall. Yeah. So have you ever been in an accident? Like, my dad used to race um, stock cars, and I remember watching him get into, like, just horrific accident, like, end-over-end rolling into a fence. How fast do those go, stock cars? I don't know, probably, like, I don't know, maybe 100 depends miles. Depends on the track. Depends on the, yeah. So fast, okay. Yeah. Um, no, I've been lucky enough that I uh, was able to get out of every car I got into without help. Nice. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. I'm well, glad to hear it's that. It's interesting because when I was driving from Florida to, to Minnesota, you know, you're going 80 on the highway, let's face it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm probably going to get some of those tickets in the mail any day now. <laughs> and then you get into the cities and, you know, you're like, what the hell? Everyone's going so slow. You're only yep. going 65. It feels so right. slow. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Also, life is grand. That's all I know. So, tell you what, where's the ice cream wagon going to be this weekend? Um, tomorrow night, we're at a school in Plymouth. And, uh, yeah, we've been just running full blast uh, for about the last five weeks. Oh, you have already? Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing really, really well this year, and it's been fun. I'm glad to hear Do you that. make your own ice cream? No, we sell novelty ice oh, cream. Okay. My son wanted to build... Yeah, start a business uh, nine years ago and came up with the idea of an ice cream truck and now our daughter's running it so we have an ice cream truck. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I gotta come out and say I, I keep saying I want to get out and see you guys and then I miss it every damn year so what, where are you going to be in the next couple of weeks that I could show up and, and get a nice uh, a bit uh, of ice cream? We're basically just doing events you know, these last couple of years um, you keep talking about having everybody over at your cul-de-sac for the uh, all right the new show. Um, tell me when, and if we're not busy on that Friday night, we'll come out. Oh my God! If we had, because Jimmy Francis, the mayor of South St. Paul, wants to bring his huge grill truck over. Apparently, he's got a grill, got a grill truck. truck. Grill truck. Yep. So he wants wow. to bring that over. You want to bring some ice cream? This is going to be a hell of an event. I'll tell you that. Everybody from the the morning show. Everybody from this show. Uh, all of our neighbors. Uh, you guys, I, I got to get this thing set up. I got to make sure that everybody's in town. That's the one thing I got to do. We'll have to pay yep. off the complainers. Who's going to complain? We have to get a permit from the city. <laughs> We're gonna. It's in a. It's it's in a. It's in a cul-de-sac. There's going to be some people that are going to mm-hmm. be unhappy. Mm-hmm. They're Tough blocking kitty. my Tough. driveway. Then move. <laughs> get out. That's fair, isn't it? You can walk. Yeah, you can walk. Just get the hell out of your own neighborhood. Tyre, I will. That's a nice. I, you know, I will give you a call. I'll try to figure out when. I gotta believe we're gonna probably try to do it before the Fourth of July, sometime in June. I would guess. Does that work for you? Well, uh, well if it's Back to the Fifties weekend, no. <laughs> When's Back to the Fifties weekend? Seventeenth, uh, eighteenth, and nineteenth, if I remember right. Okay, so we got we got uh, that works because we got the tenth and the twenty fourth. So that, we can be on both sides. Is of that. that a car show, Back to the Fifties? Yeah, it's a street ride show at the fairgrounds. At, mm. uh, n- another thing I play with. <laughs> there you have. I don't want to hear about you. What you Ford play business with. Coupe, so I, I grew up around street rods, and so I have one now. Tire, I will. I will find out when we can get this thing done. I'll start asking questions. Try to start putting it together because it's going to take a couple of weeks to put it together anyway. So I will get to work on this, but that is so great of you to to, to be bring by the ice cream truck would be phenomenal. Sounds good. All right, Pally, thank you. Yep. Tire yep. Carver, ladies and gentlemen, couldn't ask for a nicer guy. Very nice. He guy. did hang up, didn't he? He didn't hear that, did he? Uh, I think we he wouldn't might. want him to Damn have it. a compliment in his Damn day. It. I don't want to hear him he say <laughs> nice things about him. Um, I do think, and I, I brought this up earlier because I did that that. Uh, speech on Monday night and turning to those three 18-year-olds saying, hey, you got your number one job is to bring us back together because we're so far apart. All three of them nodded at me like they were already thinking about that whole thing. I think we, that's the number one thing we have to do is this division over every... I'll give mm-hmm. an example of what we're talking about. Um, Catherine was telling me a story that she heard this guy talking about the fact that this person is a this and they're that and all the rest of it, and you live in an all-white neighborhood, so that automatically makes you racist. And I said, well, does this guy think that if you lived in an all-black neighborhood, are you racist because you're black? 
Yeah. No, people are idiots. Why are they so stupid? <laughs> there we go. I can't. There. I'm sorry. Well, there is all we need idiots. to know, everything so shut down because this. it's true. People are idiots. Yeah. It, because, one, like, if if I had, if like, if I was rich and I wanted to live in some big house, like, I don't necessarily care who my neighbors are. Like, I'm not yeah, moving I'm somewhere because yeah. of who my neighbors are. Are there some people that do? Sure. Absolutely. Right. But, like... Right. Just because you live in a certain area doesn't make you racist. Just because you live it's in a certain ridiculous. area doesn't make you not racist. Like I you couldn't agree you more. You can live in the middle of an all-black neighborhood and be the biggest racist there is. Like that has no bearing on well how you are as a person. Exactly. I've seen one person with a Nazi flag in his house, and that was in North Minneapolis. I'm like, that kind of doesn't fit into this neighborhood. And he flew it out his bedroom window. Jeez. Wow. Like, you're taking a, you're rolling the dice yeah. here, pal, because that ain't too smart. But mm. no, I just think that. that well, uh, do, don't people understand there's just some crazies out there? And oh, you know, there are. Just got to keep an eye on them, make sure they don't have a gun. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Just Down all of you, right? Don't come too close. <laughs> you know, Andy, you know what's so great about life? Now, here's an example uh, of, of how life does work out. Because Andy and I were sitting out there. And, uh, and, um, was Rudy talking to you? He came in and talked. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah he, he came in and talked about cars stuff. and his comedy career. And Andy and I are sitting out there going, well, mom's not here. Alex is not here. <laughs> what are we going to do? We got to <laughs> cancel the show, cancel the show. And wow. it turns out to be a, a hell of a good show. The show was terrific. I thought because our guests, mm-hmm. the, you guys asked really great questions. See, so going, oh, this is terrible. We were victimized by the, no, just go with it. Yep. Roll with life, calm down. Hell, me and Andy had you not show up one day. We got that Officer Dave true. in here. We made right. it work. So. Officer true. Dave. We can mm-hmm. always stitch a show together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for the show. But thank you to Hazard Lee again. What a great guest. He was on the morning show yesterday, on this show today. What kind of what? a name is Hazard? I don't know, but that's his actual it's a name. perfect I name do. for us. It is. Hazard Lee is a very yeah. fire piloty name. Yeah. But Fighter piloty, I like that. He could be a demolition guy. There's so many could things be. he could be with that name. All right, we will talk to you now tomorrow. Who is coming in for Thursday? We got Gelfano. I know that. As far as I know, that's it. Sandy's coming Enjoy. in on, on Friday. Uh, no, I'll, I'll track down somebody else to come in on uh, tomorrow. Okay. I was trying to think of who should we invite. Somebody that can get along with Gelfand. That's a short oh, list. Oh, that'll be Don list. Shelby. Have have Shelby come it's in. a short can, list. They can both talk their far left horseshit. That'll be great. And there is far left, far right horseshit, too. It's oh, not just yeah, one side. Still, there's horseshit there's on both sides. Exactly. There's enough to shovel everywhere. Uh, oh, right. by the way, I forgot Absolutely. to mention this week's What's Up, Tevin? D Hart from Stillwater. There my guy is. Derek. And <laughs> good show, good morning show, he said. Very, very yep. nice. It's all about you. Yeah, he's my number one fan, and I'm his number one fan. <laughs> there right. you go. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye.